this week's episode of Unorthodox pivots around a certain word. And while the word itself is not obscene according to, say, the FCC, it isn't necessarily a word that you want everyone to use. So you might want to avoid this episode if you have sensitive ears, and you might want to avoid it because we might use some good old-fashioned real swear words and obscenities. Before you dive into this week's episode, go to YouTube and have a look at this video that we made. It's a documentary about the word Jap for a Jewish-American princess, and it was part of this project to investigate this word that also included a live show at the JCC of Manhattan. The live show began with a viewing of this documentary and then proceeded as a town hall-style discussion about whether or not it was okay to use the word. You should go to YouTube. Just put into the search bar, can I say Jap? And have a good watch. Yeah. Hello. Hello. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast, coming to you live from the Marlene Meyerson JCC in Manhattan. Yay. Thank you. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer. (laughs) Joined as ever by tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butner. And senior writer, Liel Leibowitz. Tonight, a special live show in which we ask the question, is it okay in 2018 to use the word Jap for Jewish American princess? Uh, We are excited that we will be welcoming novelist and TV star of TV's Odd Mom Out, Jill Kargman. Legendary star of theater and television, The Walking Dead, among others, as well as crazy ex-girlfriend, Tova Felchu. And historian Judith Rosenbaum, who's director of the Jewish Women's Archive. And then, and this is this is just as important, we're going to be taking a lot of comments and questions from the audience. We really want this to be a town hall where we get some points of view that aren't just those of the three of us or the six or seven or eight of us. We really, we have a good sample size here. We have a good cross-section of people, and we really want to hear from you uh, a bit later in the show. What do you think of this word? Do you hate it? Do you love it? Have you evolved on it? Do you use it? Are you ashamed that you use it? Do you hope to use it more? Had you never heard of it? Um, <laughs> this will be your opportunity to say, I don't have a question. I have a comment. That's right. <laughs> And then my, it will be my and Liel's opportunity to, to shut down that comment when it goes on for more than about 40 <laughs> seconds. Um, so we're going to want to hear what you think of the word Jap, and we'd like you to be thinking about that, making some mental notes for when we come out into the audience. We're, we're going to leave a lot of time for, for your feedback. So this show is going to be a little unusual, uh, a little freeform, but a lot of fun. But some of you may wonder, like, where did we even get this idea? And I actually... I couldn't remember, and then Stephanie reminded me. Where did this idea come from for this show? So basically earlier this year, we had on a guest, Noreen Malone, a great writer and editor from New York Magazine, and she was the Gentile of the Week. And for those of you who don't know, the Gentile of the Week gets asked us a question, something they always wanted to know about Judaism. So her question was, as a non-Jewish person, am I allowed to use the word Jap? And she told us a story where, just told us a story where basically that was sort of like the only word, and they were sort of trying not to say it. And then finally one of them was just like, she's just really Jappy. And so the question was to us, what what do we think? And so we sort of, we had different responses. And then it actually sort of mushroomed into this big conversation where we all fell in like completely different places on this word. And I remember the, the morning that episode came out, I got a text from like my sister being like, you can't say it. Like, you can't do that. And my mom saying, you can't say that word. And I was just like, everyone has it. And I was just getting emails from like people I knew left and right. And we really heard from a lot of people. 
So we started to like interrogate where we all stood. And I was surprised that Stephanie was sort of on the fence because for me, it was just nothing but offensive. I mean, I would never call anyone a Jap. I would never call anyone Jappy. For me, the word existed only as a product uh, from that book. Do you remember that series of books in the mid 80s, Truly Tasteless Jokes? Who here remembers that? You, there we go. There we go. You all, you all were born in- For people who couldn't afford Mad Magazine. That's right. For people born in the 1970s named Kevin or Amy, you remember those books. You read them right after you watched Dukes of Hazard, And there was a section, right? And so there were black jokes. There were women jokes. There were the, and then there was a whole chapter. Like blacks and Jews and women each got their own chapter. And then Jap jokes got their own <laughs> chapter. So it was like, what do you call, you know, a Jap on a waterbed? Lake Placid. And, you know, just these. And I didn't know what that was. And I remember asking my parents to explain it. But for me... Great, I brought that one back into circulation. Now it's going to be hearing it at Fairway tomorrow. So for me, it was just all bad. But, and then we, but you're the kind of person who's like, we need to use words that are controversial because we need to like challenge ourselves and right. see where the lines are. So I was surprised that you were like, no, no, no. You want to bring back Jewess, which like makes me so uncomfortable. Jewess is awesome. Oh. And then Liel was all like, what is this word, what is this word, Jeff? Well, you know, first of all, I have, I have issues with, you know, identity politics. The only thing I identify as is hungry. Um, <laughs> but I grew up in Israel where, you know, we, you didn't, did. have, we didn't have Japs. You know, we had Jeeps. How, how could a girl be a Jap when, or a woman be a Jap when, you know, she's about to be in the army in, you know, two minutes. It's like, oh, look at Becky. She puts hand lotion before she grabs her Uzi. Like, it makes absolutely... <laughs> No sense. That's Becky with the good hair. That's Becky with the good hair and the good gun. So, yeah, for me, it was like, okay, this is great. That means absolutely nothing. I will sit here and watch your anthropological debate. A Jewish American princess. Rap battle. Daughters of privilege. Fit mad flow. Finance from offensive. Too bad, yo, oh, snap. It's a jab battle rap. Okay, so before we bring out our guests um, and, and really get the show on the road, um, let's take a poll. Um, we can see you. You can see us. We can sort of see you. Um, who here has ever been called a Jap? Could you raise your hand? Wow, so like like dozens, like dozens of you. I see all my friends, so. It's <laughs> <laughs> the, the great next section in row four, is that? Okay, now, who, okay, this is like out of Mean Girls. Now, who here has ever called someone a Jap? Oh wow, wow, wow. Oh, yeah. Everybody. That, everybody that is basically. a lot of hands. Okay, and now, now most important, um, we're going to have two questions. One is going to be, is it okay to say Jap? So it's yes or no. Is it okay in any circumstance? Is there a circumstance in which saying Jap or Jappy is permissible? Raise your hand. It's like three. Well, we'll see. Is there, is there no situation in which it's permissible? Holy like, cow, we're like... It's like a third. I don't know math, but... The, the buttnicks. There, there are two buttnicks here. My mom. I will say, my mom is very upset about the show. <laughs> She's here. She doesn't really want to be. She feels very uncomfortable about this word. We have very different relationships. But P.S. Stephanie would really like a Prada backpack. So, oh, no. Apparently. I have found a Prada backpack since this movie aired. It was my sister's from high school. I carry it now. <laughs> So about, it looked to me like three quarters. Three quarters. is okay. Which uh, leads me to a question of my own. Stephanie, who are you wearing? Oh my God, thank you. I thought you'd never ask. I'm wearing 2018 Juicy Couture Black Label. They're back. They fit a little different than when, they, than when I was 12, but here we are. I am yeah. wearing the uh, one shirt with buttons I own. 
And, and Mark, you're in your Jappy best, I think. I am in my... my Mark took his yacht from <laughs> Martha's my, Vineyard. My Jay Press <laughs> seersucker is what, I, is what I'm in. Uh, but shall we go to the guests? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so our first guest tonight is the amazing Jill Kargman. She's a writer and the producer and star of Bravo's Odd Mom Out, a TV show based on her 2007 novel Momzilla's. Welcome, Jill. Yay! Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. So let's let's put it out. Like, where do you stand on the word Jap? I've said it my entire life. Have you said it today? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, my parents, I grew up in New York City in the 70s, and I think my parents' biggest fear was raising a Jap. Um, my mom's French, my dad's from Boston, and they had this idea of that New York princess who got the ski jump nose, you know, Dr. Aston number seven. And I just think that they wanted to kind of shield me from materialism in general. And even though they're both Jewish, my mother is Orthodox, in fact. I think they were terrified about raising children in New York in this sort of mecca of, especially in the 80s, materialism and logos and all that stuff. And um, So what's the training? How do you, how do you de-jab a person? Well, they always said, it's funny because my dad worked at Chanel and I was never allowed to get a Chanel bag because they said, what the hell would you have to look forward to? So all these girls in my class had Chanel bags and I didn't. And they said, it's ridiculous your friends have Chanel bags. That's stupid. Like, they're 16, 17. What, what, what will they have to look forward to? Um, but really, you know, they had friends whose behavior embarrassed them. And they're very proud Jews. They, they never had, you know, they never really tried to assimilate. But they were still embarrassed. Half their friends are Jewish and half, half are waspy. These like super waspy, you know, reversible name people. It could be like Wellington Rutherford or Rutherford Wellington. <laughs> it doesn't work with like Abramowitz Ari. And, uh, and of course the Roman numeral, you know, the higher the Roman numeral, the smaller the dick. And uh, my, my parents had a lot of friends where they would get embarrassed by really materialistic, gauche, vulgar behavior of other people that they knew. So, for example, we went to a funeral with a super waspy friend, Stone Roberts. <laughs> and the, one of the eulogies, she said, I've lost my best friends. We did all the bees together. Bergdorf, Spendles, Barneys, Bloomies. Who am I going to do the bees with? And we were embarrassed. We were we were embarrassed. And our friend said, "Is that like a thing?" She said, "On your last night of your life, you were in your Laura Piano cashmere four ply sweatsuit." And you know, she was crying, so it's sad. But I still had like a tsunami <laughs> of horrification wash over me. And you know, I I think my parents sort of afterwards we had a conversation with Stone Roberts, and he said, "Is that like a thing?" You know, in Jewish funerals to kind of talk about their favorite labels. And we said, "No, no." Yeah. You know, we were at Temple Emmanuel, which my dad calls church, and. Um, it just, we felt so uncomfortable. So I think... Just in the Talmud is a tractate Prada where we <laughs> name yeah. all the things we it's have. It's just ironic that my dad, you know, worked in a luxury place. But, you know, he just he just felt like this is not for people who aren't buying it themselves, maybe. I don't know. I, I think a lot of my childhood was trying desperately to, to shield us from that. But we said it about male Japs too. I understand the point that it's sexist and anti-Semitic and offensive, I, I really do, but I, there is something where I do see it as a particular type and it is a stereotype, but I still see so many, I call them the Zenyals, because 
So Danielle is normally spelled D-A-N, you know, but it, there's a particular type that's basically phonetically it's D-Z-A-N-I-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And I know one such Danielle. Her name's not Danielle, but she's a Danielle. And every time I see her, she's so stressed. She's redoing East Hampton and Park Avenue. She has two sets of blueprints. It's a fucking nightmare. And I'm like, people would kill for your problems, you know? But every time without fail, it just never ends. I see her and she'll say like, I don't get me started. My nanny is in bed with my trainer. So now I got rid of them both. I need a new nanny and a new trainer. Don't get me started. And it's like, you know, there is no other word, as Stephanie said, that comes to mind other than Jap, because she's so cosseted and in her little bubble, she has no self-awareness and... You know, it is a bad stereotype for us as Jews who work or, you know. So it sounds like you would be careful using that word around your non-Jewish friends. Yeah, I mean, I even, I, I generally say it to Jewish friends about other Jews. <laughs> um, with a waspy not, not, person. Not, not the wasps. No, well, I have, half my friends are waspy and I will, if there like is behavior. I like that you're keeping behavior, with your parent, Yeah, you I'm following the it's circle of life. Make sure 50% um, of your social circle. Yes. <laughs> well, it's just sort of emergent. I mean, we were talking backstage of my kids at Jewish school and I said, no, because I really want diversity. You know, <laughs> even if it's, just all religions, I, I feel comfortable, the most comfortable in a Jewish setting, but I did want my kids in a diverse, like United nations -y type of thing. So speaking of diversity, would, would you feel differently speaking about Japism to say an Indian friend? It's well, like, I have in the club. No, my, my one like, Indian yeah. friend is the biggest Jap I know. <laughs> <laughs> like she's always has her driver and her nails and everything is perfect. And she's, I mean, she jokes like I'm the biggest Jap. Like she's she's actually a Horace Mann mom, and she said I'm a bigger Jap than the Horace Mann Japs. It's good that we've given her something to aspire yeah. to. It's yeah, like, she, she, she thinks arrived. it's great. It, Here you go, it's yours. Now. But to her, it's not an insult. She thinks it means like her life is really perfect and that she looks great. So for me, <laughs> so, something that's come up, especially as we've been thinking about the show, is I've thought a lot about this word, and part of what I've had to do is separate basically materialism and, and an appreciation for nice things from this idea that it's woven into this persona. And so like, look at you, you look amazing. You're very stylish, very chic. How do you find, you know, how do you sort of like find that line? So interesting. I do like nice things, but they're often not what the herd is doing. I think a lot of times, like there's a circle of Japs that I know where they all really dress for each other and they all have the same shit. It's just like, slightly different, but they all have like, they all, if whatever bag, like we all run and get the Celine bag and we all get the identifiable, like I always want what people don't have. I don't know, I'm not trying to like fit into any kind of group. So I'm hearing then two, two things. One, one is individuality, right? That, that, that that can be a sort of escape hatch from Japton. The other, which you started to talk about a moment ago, is, is that you work. And this was something that, um, you know, that came up in our movie as well is, and, and also I think especially in an interview with Judith, perhaps in a part that didn't make the movie, is that the stereotype used to be in the 70s, it was women who didn't work, right? The 70s Jap, if I'm not mistaken, you look at all the jokes, she's basically, she's just living off daddy or, or her husband. husband. And now, you know, can I don't you, can know, no, I don't know any Japs that work, none. Oh, so that's still, it's, it's that's the, if For you're me, working, you're not in a Jap. my experience, yeah, in my exposure, it's a particular thing where your day is based on lunch, and you know you get your you go I to Philadelphia, you get that, your green juice, you like 
you diarrhea, you go to the liquid liquid lunch, you pick up the kids, Dakota and Jared, and you work out. You know, it's like this sort of day built around things, and they do get blowouts for each other, especially if it's like a charity, and they all they all go on trips together and like send out Lucite slabs for the Benamit's vote, and like it's a whole thing. And um you know, it's all sort of for each other and sort of self-reinforcing. I don't think it's like what it used to be where I had truly tasteless and I read those things being like, rehearsal dinner, your last blowjob. But I don't think that, you know, I think there's certain things that have changed because there are some like world-class philatrix people out there who are Japanese. Philatrices. Pardon, my Latin is, I have to brush up. But um, it's, it's, it's still a thing. It really is, but I do associate it. I don't know one working Jap. Hmm. So your show, Odd Mom Out, which Sid and I love and watch Thanks. religiously. Um, and by the way, I still want to be an extra. You were going to hook me up with that. I know, we got canceled. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sadly. I didn't I know, know that. I'm sorry, I'm oh. sorry Mark. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> pooped on out. my rainbow. Me, sorry. Um, when you were good, now that was a very interesting show because you're the, the, the Jewish wife with Jewish kids, Jewish-ish kids, but the husbands are real. Jewish kids. Jewish kids. But the husband's a real shake. Goy. Yeah, real goy. Um, you know, how did you think about that show? And I mean, that was a decision because you're married. You're, that I'm married to a NJB, nice Jewish boy, yeah. Harry Kargman, front row. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was... <laughs> it takes so little to please this crowd. <laughs> that was a decision um, that we made sort of in development to heighten the otherness. I think that if you have your your family unit that somehow feels safe and secure, you can take on the world and you really don't let people get to you in the same way. But if in within your own household, you have a mother-in-law who's bummed that her waspy son married a Jewess, um, which I'm with Stephanie, I never say that word, but um, you know, then even just within your home and your extended family, there's just another level of odd. So that was, it basically gave room for creative. Yes. Yeah. And so the interesting thing about the show is on the show, the Japs are the waspy blonde women, really. It's true, but I think that um, it's a different level of boasting. I do think they're, they do it in a subtler way. So for example, a waspy friend who might be like very privileged will say like there's so much traffic on the way to Teterboro and I want to strangle them because I know that it that means they're flying private or whatever but like Japs will just be like do you want to ride on Air Goldberg <laughs> there's like a difference but they're more generous <laughs> yeah so defying stereotypes left totally. and right <laughs> So is it like so you have kids now? I mean, do you see I, when I while doing the video, we I was there for the interview with Ann Royfi and I had already done my bit where I was like, oh, whatever, Jewish girls call other Jewish girls that. And then I, I actually felt very moved by her by her account of basically like it's not good for women for this word to be out there. So I'm curious, do you think about it? Like, do you hear your daughter's friends saying it? Um, not really. I I they I think this gener my daughter's 15, Sadie, and um I don't, I think she kind of steers clear from it. She knows what that kind of type is, but I think she really uses the word spoiled more than Jap. Um, but it, I mean, she unfortunately does know that that same behavior will keep perpetuating, but I don't, I mean, we don't really use it right and left or anything, but there is that type, as you said, the shorthand 
to describe it, but um, I think kids now are so much smarter about what can be offensive and they edit themselves more than I do. Can you think of a better word? Well, it's funny. My dad just says princess now. He doesn't hmm. say Jap or Jewish American princess. He'll just be like, she's kind of a princess type. Um, and I think that's better. I, by the way, I'm like obsessed with the Jewish American prince, which is like a very real thing. Oh, yeah. The male male Japs are omni. Total. But so still princess is like, it's still a female centric thing, right? Like, here's the problem with the the, the male Jap is he, it comes back to the Jewish mother, who's someone who is sort of like coddled. It, it's all like laced in stereotypes about women who are it doing is. Jewish women who are doing something wrong. Although somewhere. I do see women now who have new babies where they they think this kid is they just shout out the fucking Messiah and they have like <laughs> their name in a diamond ring with the baby and he's he, like he's so musical. I'm like he's shitting his huggies. He's not musical because he like hit a drum. But they really think this kid is like, you know, life changing. And I think there's something to that where the guys then grow up and think they walk on water. And then they marry the Jewish woman and they sort of, it's just, it's like. It's self-perpetuating. <laughs> this is depressing. The, the circle of life. <laughs> Jill Kargman, what is your next, since we can't watch you except in reruns, is there another novel coming out? What's I'm working on another book and I have a serious XM show on Mondays and Fridays on Stars Channel 109. It's really mostly people outside New York City because I don't know how to drive, so we only have it in our car. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm going to LA next week to work on another show, so we'll see. Fingers crossed, everybody. Amazing. Thank you. Make so a much. wish on your stack of Zagat guides. Thank, Thank you, you guys so much. Thank you. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. I want to make an important audience shout out. There is a pink Kate Spade bag sitting in the front row. Oh it's an old school one. Can you just show us? No, hold it high for the camera. Hold it prepared. Look, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's a, it's a Sam, a medium Sam, I think. A classic. A blessed memory, of course. We're Greek. Ancient it's Greek. It's called Jap. Our next guest is the inimitable, incomparable Tolva Felchu, star of stage and screen. She's played Gold in My Ear and Leona Helmsley and was killed by zombies on The Walking Dead. And she steals the show every time she's on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as Rachel Bloom's mother. Welcome, Tova. Yeah.
Golda Meir oh. and Leona Helmsley. I know. I remember being in a conversation once about, is Leona Helmsley Jewish? Is she not? I mean, I was like 10. She was I'm, Jewish. I mean. But Harry wasn't, right? She'd married, the Helmsleys were not Jewish, right? That's correct. That's she correct. married a Quaker. Quaker. She made that Quaker a, a, a real shaker. You know, she... <laughs> <laughs> so, Tova, you're from Scarsdale. I'm from New York City, but my parents moved to Scarsdale when I was three. So you were raised in Scarsdale. <laughs> I was. Still counts. And I saw you say in an interview that you were the only bat mitzvah in your class. I was. Which, at, at Quaker Ridge School, yes. I was thinking about this, and I may not be your funniest guest. I think that having had the privilege of being born in the 50s, uh, Jap was used for the Japanese. It was a racist term for the enemy, one of the enemies of the United States. And to bring a child up decently, you bring a child up in metaphor. You look beyond material into the neshama, the soul of the child, the soul of you and your values. So if people were coming out of shtetls with dirt roads and yearly sponsored pogroms by the czar and uh, death, when they got to America to dress nicely, wasn't in the material. It was in the sense of self-respect and not having to wear clothing that was mutilated and, and filled with holes because they didn't worship Jesus Christ. So therefore, the loss of that metaphor You can is, clap for that. Yeah. That's, that's okay. It's a beautiful sentiment. The loss of that metaphor could have been the birth of the Jewish-American princess. So as that got diluted, in other words... You went, when I was a little girl, you, I remember I was taken to the young people's concerts at, at uh, the old opera house, the old Metropolitan Opera House, and, and Leonard Bernstein was conducting. And uh, I remember the Chrysler, there were no Volkswagens or Mercedes in Scarsdale in the 50s, no German cars and no Japanese cars. As the Chrysler pulled out of the driveway and went down Penn Boulevard, I said, Mommy, I, I, I had on my anklets and my Mary Janes and I had on my hat and this matching coat, but I had forgotten my gloves. And that car made a U-turn, <laughs> went up the driveway. She said, we do not go to New York without our white gloves. We're going to a concert. So you see, white gloves weren't, it wasn't the material. It was the self-respect, the way of holding yourself in safety in a new land. So that, that's, that's where I think that Jap emerged, was the loss of that in-depth view and perception through the material into what was underneath it, and it became the material itself. So where the Jap emerged, the parent failed. The parent really failed. Fail, wait, say a bit more about the failed how. My God. To, to, show, a, to show a person values, what it, what it means to have values and to be decent to other people and to dress nicely. But I had great advantages. My parents never joined the country club. They never owned a Cadillac. And I was allowed two pairs of Papagallos. <laughs> one for parties and one for special occasions. And the rich kids had, had no boundaries. There were boundary issues. And when Amanda went to Spence, much less with collegiate, but when Amanda went to that east side school, there were boundary issues with the very wealthy. Very wealthy. And the, the, the perception of any consequence for their behavior, Donald Trump, was, was, was there was no perception. There was a, uh, so, 
you know, I'm from here. I didn't, I, the other Jap thing is when you go to the malls in, in Los Angeles. I mean, that was the most, it was, I always say if God, and I went to Los Angeles in the 70s after I graduated from Sarah Lawrence because I, uh, I was doing television. And I said, if God passes over Hollywood, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah a big apology. <laughs> And that, that was Hollywood in the 70s. I think it's gotten much, much better. But, but isn't wow. there an argument to be made that it wasn't, it's not, could be parents failing, but it also is these, these symbols of upward mobility as, as Jews got more comfortable in America, the outside turned against them and, and sort of we turned against ourselves almost so that these symbols of, you know, having good clothes, whatever the metaphor might have been, it's sort of, beca- it, you lose that at a certain point. What? <laughs> Just that as Jews become wealthier and, and get the nicer things, the outside world sees them as sort of encroaching on their territory. Interesting. And so then all of a sudden Jews become materialistic and obsessed with money. You mean so the anti-Semites took the dignity away from us? Like whereas once we, is that what you're saying? Like that, that both Jews turned on each other because then all of a sudden you were the fancy one with the fancy things. And also non-Jews were sort of saying, you guys look at the, you know, this gauche, this idea of like tackiness. I don't, you know, I think there's nothing more upsetting to an upper middle class Jew than a middle and lower class Jew. And, and that is a, a Shonda, that is a shame, but it exists and it existed since the German Jews came in the 1880s and 1870s and the riffraff from Poland and Russia who came later, they uh, kept them down there with the educational alliance and they became the Fifth Avenue Jews. And with all my philosophical training from my university and et cetera, I do want to tell you that I do collect Chanel. <laughs> so, so much for me. So, so one of the reasons I, co- I collect- Just like Golda. Just like yeah, Golda, oh my God. 168 pounds. And I tell you, the bird seed for those tits, they almost killed me, that, that stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Is that oh, what yeah. they use, birdseed? They use birdseed. And then in, when I played <laughs> London with Golda, the dresser taught me how to create varicose veins with thick wool. And every night, uh, which I, I just came back from Montreal, I would put on one pair of stockings, and then before the support hose went on, you, you start to carve your vascular system every night. And they said, Ms. Felch, let's, let's sew your veins. And I said, no, no, I want to do this. I want to do this. It was, it was a great thrill. Anyway, material, materialism... <laughs> Whole, you know, right out there, materialism was considered lower class, was considered low class. The inability to think was substituted by the the ability to to buy. Also, again, as you get older, you have a great advantage because you you've accumulated so much stuff. I almost never go shopping, which is why I buy very fine clothes when I do because they last and they save me time. They say the this belt is fifteen years old. It saves me time. And that's what I've got left to give you is my life time, you know? So speaking of, of, of the way things have transformed, I was very surprised to learn that you were not born a Tova at all. No, I was born Terry Sufelchu. That's my birth name. But Terry Culp was the boy in my class, and Terry was the name of my my godfather's uh, collie. <laughs> but I was born when there were Bonnie Sues and Debbie Reynolds and... Finally, I fell in love with the boy, not of our, not of the tribe. And he said, what kind of a name is Terry Sue for a girl like you? And I, he said, what else were you called? I said, well, I was called Tova, Temple Israel Center in Hebrew school. He said, Tova, now that's a name. And I was really brilliant. I was 17 and a half. And of course, I had a real knowledge of what kind of consequence that would bring me and change, 
I had zero, zero, zero. So I changed my name and the entire landscape of my life changed. See, that's really interesting because, of course, obviously, usually it goes the other way, right? Is that the Tovas become that's Terry's. What everybody said. Or Terry Sue. Robbie Lance, a Viennese Jew. My, my, my family's from Vienna. He said, your, your name will never be on the marquee. How could you do that to yourself? You're born in America. And uh, I don't understand it, you know. And I said, oh, you probably as Barbara Streisand to change your nose, you know. I don't know. <laughs> so, but he was very afraid. It's that whole thing about being too Jewish or getting cast by Neil Simon. Well, I mean, I say these things out because I'm older. But he and Neil Simon had a real thing. Matthew Broderick is a half-breed, mother a Jew, father a Christian. He's a JWP, right, a Jew who passes. So he gets, he gets the leads in the Neil Simon play. But Linda Lavin had to beg for her role, and she would win the Tony. He would rather cast the wonderful, the wonderful Blythe Danner because he feels his play should be universal. So the only prejudice I had with anti-Semitism was, was from the Jews themselves. <laughs> so really. Jews who were afraid to cast Jewish women as I Jewish was, parts. Was, that's right. I was cast as Catherine Hepburn by Christians. I worked five plays for Jack O'Brien. I played Juliet. I played Isabella, the, you know, in Measure for Measure, Marjorie Pinchwife, and all these leads at the National Shakespeare Theater in San Diego. I was cast by Jack O'Brien. And then try to get into love letters, which is from one wasp to another, and you have a British... Uh, director named Joey Tillinger, who's wonderful, but he's a what? He's a JWP. He's really a German Jew. He wouldn't cast me. And he wouldn't cast me, I say, because of my name. So it was very um, sad for me, but I got him back because he had to then direct me in a one-person show. So I got him. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, you know, of the roles you did get, a couple of them, several have been, have been really prominent. Jewish mothers, for example, kissing Jessica Stein, crazy ex-girlfriend. Classic. And Lillian Kantrowitz in A Walk on the Moon. There we go. Yeah. Um, how do I mean the the Jewish mother is probably right after the jab or tied with the jab for about the most noxious and pervasive stereotypes there are. Did you feel? Do you feel when you're playing these roles that you know I have to undo the stereotype? I have to be careful not to play into the stereotype. How does that? How does the? I mean, God, crazy ex girlfriend. She is. She's a yes. Jewish mother. Well, that's that's uh, that's really prototypical. Also, you know, to get hired to sing a five-page solo called "Where's the Bathroom" was pretty <laughs> pretty crazy. To set it up that you go to your daughter's house and you walk in the door and you just break into. Well, she the no, well, she, I haven't seen her in six months, and of course, she went to Harvard and Yale, and then she fell in love with the Oriental, as I call him. <laughs> I, in one episode, I answered the door in my bra and underpants, and my and 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 my daughter is there with her her Asian love. She goes, "Mother," I said, "I didn't know you were bringing the Oriental. What do you want me to do?" Oh, sister. So it's there's a boundary issue, but with the with the other Jewish mothers, with the other Jewish mothers, again, my theory is it's based on survival. And when I was born, to not give your child a kanahura, you let you made sure the child was humble and you corrected her. So my mother lived to over 103. And I did, I did Pippin um, a few years ago, but I was, already, I was already 60 when I did it. And I wanted her to see me in Pippin. I did this big trapeze act as the grandmother. So my brother, who's an ER guy, said, show mother the footage of your rehearsal so mother doesn't come to see Pippin at the Music Box Theater and, and die of a heart attack. <laughs> So we showed her we showed her the rehearsal thing and she sat and she watched the show and, and if you do your job as the grandmother, as Berta in Pippin, you will stop the show. Just like if you do your job as Rose in Gypsy, you will stop the show or you will if you do your job as Juliet, you will get a standing ovation if you do your job. So I did my job 
And I stopped the show, and I went to my mother, and I said, Mommy, 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 milk, Mommy, milk. I said, Mommy, how did I do in the show? She said to me, Tova, that you should have to earn a living like this. (laughs) (laughs) And on a trapeze yet. So that had to do with safety, survival, when I married my husband, my mother said to me, you can do whatever you, and this was after Yentl, this was after getting a lot of awards early in my life, you tell me you can do whatever you want now, you're marrying a Harvard lawyer. <laughs> so it, but it had to, underneath that, it wasn't so much the materialism as what? As preserve and protect. How do I preserve and protect? And my mother's greatest regret, she went to NYU, is that she didn't get her master's and she didn't teach because she was reduced to that shirt waist and those pearls. Because an upper middle class Jewish girl did not work. Sydney worked, and he would. I remember he would give her. He would give her his earnings because she managed the money. You know, like a real balabusta, just like they were in some. You know, in, back in Eastern <laughs> Europe. But uh, you know, and he. She came from a poor family. He came from a, a family of of more means. And his love letter said, "You will never have to worry where your next pair of shoes will come from. I will build you a house on a hill, and you will never have to worry." And he did that for her, and in the end, she was grateful for the safety, but really sad that she didn't have a life work. And as I watched my mother wait for my father to come home, like patients on a monument, my mother would wait to fix that dinner. I was four or five years old, and I said, I am never, never gonna be like that. I'm always gonna have my work, always. And I married a boy who was happy that I had had my own work. You're not buying this word at all. When you hear Jap, you're like, no, We were never allowed absolutely. to say it. It would be like saying the N-word. It was I mean, absolutely Even today, you're like, no patience whatsoever. I have, I have met people of little boundaries and people who think that <laughs> a plain and wealth substitute for decent behavior. Uh, Amanda went to school with some of them. And I can only tell you, beware. Beware if you think you're immune to it. You, you lie with a dog with fleas. Beware. So that's the only thing. You know, we went, she went to this fancy school, but then she was a physics major at MIT. She did very well, but not so soon. She's a bit of a hoodlum in the fast, in the fast lane, and I wasn't so happy with her, <laughs> with her, with her friends. But she's, you know, she straightened herself out. She had a choice, and she, she pulled herself up by her bootstraps, and she got into MIT, and I, I, Andy and I were so stunned. We were, th- we were thrilled. I mean, she was a strong student, and I remember getting up in the middle of the night saying, are you sure it is an FIT? <laughs> To- Tova Felchu, will you hang out on stage when we bring Judith Rosenbaum out and I'd, talk some more? I'd be honored if you want me to stay. Whatever we want you team. to stay for okay. darn sure. And let's just take this moment. You're not going anywhere, but thank you so much. Thank you. Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? I need to use the bathroom. Tell me that you have a bathroom in this hovel you call home. I don't know which was bumpy or the plane ride or the taxi. All these freeways are a nightmare. Where's my purse? I need my comb. By the way, you're looking healthy. And by healthy, I mean chunky. I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just stating it as fact. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I'll be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. 
And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uo member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. I am delighted to have with us here tonight Judith Rosenbaum. She is a historian and the director of the Jewish Women's Archive. You were in the movie, schooling us about all sorts of things. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Will you tell us a little bit like about what you do about the Jewish Women's Archive? It seems like very relevant for tonight. Yes, absolutely. So I would say that the Jewish Women's Archive in part exists because of stereotypes like the Jap, which give a very flat and reduced sense of what it is to be a Jewish woman. And in fact, Jewish women are so many things and um, have been so many things historically and have so much to add to the Jewish narrative. And the story of the Jewish people is very flat if we exclude the stories of women or if we include women only in certain categories. So um, we're a digital archive and we exist to document Jewish women's stories, share them, make sure that Jewish women's voices are heard in all of their diversity and strength, and to make sure that when we talk about who Jews are and what we've done, that we're making sure women's stories are part of that. What is your, what is the the blog called? So, interesting, you should mention that. So it used to be called Jewesses with Attitude. Um, but we recently, last year, we redesigned it and rebranded it as Jewish Women Amplified. So we're done with Jewesses. Well, I Jewesses? personally am not. I'm, I'm with Mark. I kind of think that word could be reclaimed. Um, but I was outvoted on that. I'm the boss, but... I listen to the people. Such a beautiful word. Jewess. I like, know. Yeah. But apparently if you say like Jewess, it's it's bad one way and good the other way. Like which one is bad? Like if you're called like I don't know, Jew Jewess, I think. Jewess is nice. Very nice, mm. very French. If you don't very like French. yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I actually don't like most of the words that are S words. It sort of feels like it's a diminutive, but in this case I feel like it's at least for my work, it felt like it was a way of acknowledging that there could be a specific experience or identity that Jewish women hold. And so did you hear anything tonight that you were just like, no, that really made <laughs> you mad? Did I say anything bad? No. I mean, you know, I was thinking about some of the stuff that we talked about in the film. And one thing I would say that I was rethinking, like after that, you know, I say that thing about like there's really nothing to reclaim about Japs. And I would more or less stand behind that. But I did think of one thing. Um, the Jap is really about Jewish women saying, I want, right? It's about desire. It's about giving voice to desire. Now, it happens to be 
then sort of perverted in a way where it's desire only for, for things. things, right? And to me, that's where it's clear that it is a stereotype and not a reflection of reality. Because if you ask Jewish women what we want, we want a lot of things, right? We want to not be groped as we're moving through the world. We want to be paid what we're worth. We want to be listened to no matter what our voice sounds like. We want to be respected, to be able to move through the world freely, to have opportunities, to have self-determination, to be able to have access to birth control. There are a million things that we want, right? Now, if we can have all those things and have a great purse, fabulous. That's awesome. But the bag is not the point. And so it, this seems like, especially with the ghetto girl, which I would love for you to talk a little bit more about, This that was the first time Jewish women were saying, I want. And what it was coming out as was like the only things they could want at that moment were blowouts and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, when we look back to the stereotype of the ghetto girl who was the the working immigrant women of the immigrant period in the early 20th century, I actually feel like I would have been a ghetto girl, right? These were girls who were working for the first time, and they were experiencing a great deal of independence from that. In fact, for many of them, like, I think of um, a labor activist like Rose Schneiderman, and in her, in her memoir, she writes about her first act of independence— not just as a woman, but as a person, was when she was 13 years old and she had her first job and her mom expected her to hand over her paycheck and she held back a piece of it for herself. And her mother was like horrified, like what kind of daughter does that? The whole point of you working is so that you can support the family. Um, Her father was dead. And for her, it was her first statement of independence. Like, no, I deserve something for myself. And actually a big piece of what happened in some of the um, strikes that Jewish women led in the garment industry, some of the things that they were bringing to that experience was not just the idea that women could be organized and could be organizers, but also that there were things that were important for workers to achieve beyond just the basics of higher wages and, you know, working conditions. It also had to do with dignity. It also had the idea of bread and roses, right? The the idea that there were things that you might want. And Clara Lemlach-Shavelson, Clara Lemlach at the time, wrote, talked about this in one article about the 1909 um, uprising, the 20,000. She said, Sometimes a girl has a hat, and she has bought that hat by skipping lunch for two weeks. And if you don't have a place to hang your hat, you bring it to work and it gets crushed. And that's the only hat you have. And that's the hat that you can put on after where you work six days a week, you're exhausted. That is the thing that makes you feel like a person when you can put on your beautiful hat and go out into the street after work. And that hat shouldn't be crushed. We need a place to hang our hat. And that to me, so you see the pictures of the garment workers striking. And in fact, in many of them, if you look like they're standing there with their signs, they're wearing these ginormous hats that look kind of like outsized and ridiculous. And in fact, Americans looked and American Jews looked at those immigrant girls and were like, oh my God, they're so gauche. Like they're so tacky. They're being so loud. In, in trying to be American, they were like overdoing it. Like, well, if a big hat is American, then an even bigger hat must be even more American, right? But that was also a way of saying, I deserve something beautiful because I'm a person, even if I'm not educated, even if I live in you know a tenement and I share my bed, someone else takes my spot in my bed when I get up to go to work. And that's part of what we deserve as human beings. So I think the Jap kind of misses out on that because it's not about the sense of human dignity so much, more just of a sense of like, I deserve this, not because I've earned it or because I am independent, but rather out of a sense of like dependence and consumption and not production. You know, I have this wildly, I'm playing Leona Helmsley now, said the actor to the people that she loves. And... um, she came from Coney Island. She was a hard scrabble kid with a beautiful sister who was the apple of her mother's eye and a sty in Leona's eye. And uh, she made her way 
was the first in the office in the morning in her best outfit. And she had no money. She saved for one great outfit where not only she felt like a person, she felt like a winner. And she was the last to leave after the deal was done. So by the time Harry Helmsley met her, she was the best real estate agent in New York. And he asked her to join his organization. And she set her sights on him. And she worked for him and bedded him and became Mrs. Leona Helmsley and was way over bounds with certain kind of over entitlement that has to do with materialism. But um, she felt her ship came in and she paid back every person who was unkind to her by, by I won't say revenge, but by inappropriate uh, behavior and being squished in the first part of, of her life. And it's a similar thing where she had to keep back some of her paycheck. Similar Similar thing. And now I've been invited to do it in East Hampton. So it'd be really interesting <laughs> to do it for, for well, those wealthy people <laughs> who may not talk like Leona. Can you I just say she, that the fact East Hampton's, a, a, I think, makes my point. Sorry, I freaked you out there, Alana. Not at all. Um, <laughs> you know, I, all of this seems incredibly important and true when we're talking about uh, poor people who want to have that one nice thing. But what happens when Jews are vying with, I think it's with Indians, Greeks, and occasionally Mormons, depending on how you count it, for the richest ethnic or socio-ethnic or religious group in America, right? I mean, the, the experience, although there are poor Jews and lots of them, by and large, Jews are not generally poor in America anymore. Does it change, like, does the ethos change when you're coming from people whom a lot of people rightly look at with, with material envy? Do we have to raise our children differently and talk to them differently about how you display or don't display how much money you have when you have more of it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is part of what Stephanie was referring to earlier about the way that some of our anxieties about um Americanization and assimilation and upward mobility get projected onto women, right? So lots of Jews have, you know, pride and lots of uncomfortable feelings about what it is to have made it in America. And so one way of dealing with that is to kind of say, like, and we said we see this about the Jap, like as we were saying before, like no one self-identifies really as a Jap. It's always something someone else is, right? And so that is one of the ways that stereotypes work. You take the things you don't like about your and often stereotypes about women. Men take the things that they don't that are not liked about them, and there are lots of stereotypes about male Jews, and project them onto women and say, those unattractive things that that you might see, of, that you waspy people might think about Jews, that's not us. That's our wives. That's our mothers. We're not really responsible for that. That's them. Um, and then I think there is a way that Jewish women have, in our kind of ambition, have said, oh, yeah, that's your stereotype of me. Well, let me I see you and I raise you one, right? <laughs> like, you think I'm going to be materialistic? Well, let me show you what that looks like because I am serious and I can do this in a serious way. Should we engage? This yeah, you start. Audience? You start this. All right. Um, well, and so we uh, we're not going to Sarah Huckabee Sanders it. We're gonna we're gonna let everyone speak. Uh, we may interrupt you. We may ask follow up questions. You are free to direct your questions to our wonderful panelists or to God or to anyone you believe in. Where are we? So here, uh, raise your hand. Oh, okay, great. There now the first it. thing, because this is all, you all have consented to be in every medium that we could possibly portray. By being here, you've consented to every- No, by talking on the microphone. By talking <laughs> on the microphone, though, yeah. 
and the back of your head might be on camera. But by talking in the microphone, what would be great is if you would start by telling us, you know, I am so-and-so, and you can say I'm from wherever. But the most important thing is we want to get your name. And yeah, tell us, tell us what you feel. Hi, my name is Dina. Um, I'm a huge fan, by the way, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, I grew up in a lower middle class family, and I feel that I was surrounded by extremely wealthy people. And um, I guess I just felt that, to me, in my mind, I felt that being a Jap was almost like being a bully, mm -hmm. that you would like use your material wealth in order to isolate other people. Um, so to me, it's just interesting that it sounds like some people feel that be, uh, being a Jap is really like being a victim. So I, I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about the word. and That's very helpful, Yeah, you know? So thank you very much. My name is Lily. Hello. Thank you for having us and everyone else. <laughs> I don't know if my mind was totally changed by this conversation, but I think something that cemented for me in this conversation was was two, I guess, problems with the word Jap. And one is that it is really it really is a regional word. And two, it is more the problem with Jap isn't that it's used. The problem is that it doesn't acknowledge how American Jews have um, benefited from capitalism. Like I feel like this discussion has really lacked a lot of discussion on class and how a lot of the women that use it and that it's waged against are all stratified by a class hierarchy that is not limited to Jews as a religion, nor as like white people as a race. Like it just includes everyone who's part of the American capitalist system. So there's there's that point. <laughs> and then second, um, Judith is going to laugh, but I'm from the South, and <laughs> um, I <Really>? um, didn't <laughs> didn't know the word Jap until I went to Barnard College and experienced a lot of what Jill was reenacting. And, and though it's it's funny, I, I'm not I'm not acting like I wasn't around wealthy Jews growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, because of course I was. But like, it's not. There isn't some sort of like oh, these rich women who go on vacation to so-and-so, I don't even want to use this example, they've been overdone tonight, but like, I didn't know this term and I became so infatuated and humored by it in the Northeast. And then when I went home one time in college, I was, my, my dad hoards everything and he, he went to Boston University for one hot semester, left the South, thought everyone was going to be really intellectual. And his comment is, no, it's just full of Long Island Japs. And he wrote this newspaper article about, like, what did God do to the Jews to give us Japs? And I thought it was hilarious. And I made up my cover photo on Facebook. And then my dad locked me in my room and said, Lily, you are both a misogynist and an anti-Semite. Please take this off your Facebook page. <laughs> and I, but I sort of, I think it's interesting that generationally, my dad in the 70s at BU was like, oh my goodness, there's this whole subtype of Jews I had no idea about who like look like and dress like things that I have encountered before, but they have a name here. And Wait, now I experience the same thing. I love how you then become the misogynist, the anti-Semite for putting up <laughs> the piece wrote that, the he, article. that you wrote. Does, does, he this, just couldn't have does this regional the element sound uh, sound right to you? Have, have you experienced that? If that is Jap, something that is more prevalent here than it is around the country. Well, I don't even. I don't. I think there are different. I think the word does make its way to different places. Although I think. Like, I was thinking that the conversation we're having here is very much a New York conversation, just in the assumption that people recognize certain types. I also think just in, we have to think about it in terms of, you know, for those of us who use the term, it's one thing to use it in a context where it's all people who know a lot of Jews and 
might have another context for understanding Jewishness. It plays differently in a place where people don't know Jews at all. And then are like, oh, is that what a Jew is? And we actually were having a conversation about this over lunch with our interns at um, the Jewish Women's Archive this summer. And a few of them were saying that being on a college campus where there aren't a lot of Jews, that first of all, if they use the term, people might think they were talking about Japanese people and would be horrified. But also that there was no context for it and that people, you know, it, it, places where people don't know what Jews are and that it feels much scarier there. It can't be, it's not as funny there because the, the stakes feel different. Um, and I think there are also other words that get used in different places that have same resonances. So I know in the Midwest, I don't know if this is still true, but I remember having a conversation um, with some people, I don't know, five years or so ago about the word coasty, which was being used on a lot of Midwestern campuses that have a lot of East Coast Jews like Madison, Wisconsin, and University of Michigan. And the stereotype of a coasty was basically the Jap stereotype. It doesn't name, it doesn't, it's not specific to Jew or gender, although it apply, applied to Jewish women, but it was a um, kind of hidden way of referring to that stereotype because it was somebody from the East Coast. And who are the people from New York and New Jersey who are at these campuses? Jewish women. So it's like Jews. New York values. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, by, and by the way, I don't know if you've come across this in your research, but when I was doing a lot of reading for the show, in the late, there was a kind of peak in the late 70s and early 80s, anti-Semitic graffiti on campuses was Jap graffiti. They would scrawl Jap on sorority door. Like that was the stereotype that was very, very regnant. And we're at a low ebb for that now, but there was Don't a you time. miss those beautiful the good old days. days? The good old days. <laughs> I wanted to see if my mom wanted to say something. Yeah, that was actually just what I, I was about to do. I think she said no, but I think we probably should. You look, you look very animated, and, and you came here with a, <laughs> with a real kind of strong feeling against this word. Has, has it changed? No. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Okay. Hi, Stephanie. What's your name? Elise Butnick. <laughs> and I raised, Howard and I raised two daughters in Great Neck, Long Island. And the epicenter. And, the epicenter. <laughs> and I always felt like that word was really, you know, a very anti-Semitic term. Um, and so it wasn't allowed in my house at all. It and really worked. It, <laughs> I see that it really did it. And I just think that um, it says it, it's, it's a way of, of evaluating someone when you see them and making a snap judgment rather than seeing what's underneath since we've known, we, you know, since in our my life of raising the girls and, and living there, we've known a lot of Jews, are, and they're all different. And some of the people that look a certain way are some of the least spoiled people we know. And so that's what I, you know, would say. You grew up in a, like, you were one of the few Jewish families in all the places you grew up. Right, whereas I right. grew up in a place where everyone seemed to be Jewish. So I think that reflects our, like, like, my comfort with the word is because yes. it was only said by Jews about other Jews. Mm -hmm. I, like, didn't meet a Gentile until I went to college. So it's That's like, right. it, it has a different <laughs> valence for us, You're right. right? You're right. This is the Butnik show now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's what we want to do. Wait. This is amazing. I want to go about 10 more minutes of comments. Then we have a few more trivia questions, giveaways. Then we're going to take another poll. And then we're going to stay and schmooze forever and ever. Well, my but sister let's, took the mic. Let's, Francesca, let's get in 20 comments in 10 minutes. Francesca. No. Um... I just wanted to to say what I, I felt about this because I you did mention that I called you after that podcast you episode. You texted me at like 8 a.m. in the morning it went out. <laughs> That's not early. <laughs> <laughs> she has a baby, Stephanie. That's She'd been up three hours. 
What's your comment? No, I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't going to raise, I didn't raise my hand like my mom and, and said, you know, it's never acceptable. I think that it is funny when we hear, heard Jill talking about the Janyal and like, you know, all those names, like that is funny when you're in the circle of, of, of Jews and you can make fun of other Jews and the, not like other Jews, JCC. but like you can, you, yeah, well you, we, I think, like I, I think that like the, the term, you know, what, like you're saying, it, it's sometimes the only way to, to describe someone. But when you, I think like what's troubling though is when you're taking that term and bringing it outside to other places and, you know, you're kind of labeling someone like that, you know, people that don't know Jews become to say, oh, Jewish women are Japs or, you know, Japs are, um, you know, it becomes a catch-all, and I think that's really dangerous, and it's scary to me now. And and what scared me about that podcast episode was what the woman who wasn't Jewish said. Oh, I described that woman to my not other non-Jewish friends as a Jap, and that 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 that's scary to me because I think that that's exactly what my mom said. Like, you know, you're just judging someone based on, you know, what they have or what they look, and you don't even know them. And I think it's I think it's a little. Elder siblings are so wise, Stephanie. Mom, who do you, like, <laughs> we, whose answer was better? <laughs> Liel, we got a guy up there. We have a guy up there who said he changed his mind. Okay, what? Here. Get your mic back. We got a guy up there actually I think said changed his mind, and I want to hear from you. Oh, wow. Okay. Hi. Um, I, I'm Jonathan. I, I actually worked for Tablet uh, two summers ago. I was, I was your personal assistant, Stephanie. Um, so hello. It's good. Nice to see everyone. <laughs> Um, I really liked what what uh, what Tova said. Um, it, it, was, it was sort of like hearing my my grandmother's take on something, and I had that classic Jewish wisdom to it. Happens um, every time. And, and because I, I had seen it as as contradictory as it sounds, as much of an oxymoron as it is, as sort of an endearing slur. Um, that, that's sort of how my generation uses it a lot. But now I, I sort of see it as really a bad thing. Like it's. It's like it's the the Jew. It's a good for the Jews to leave the shtetl. It's bad when the shtetl leaves the Jew, and and it, and and it's sort of. I feel like what marks us is is that we are appreciative of money. Like my grandmother spends money on a, on like expensive St. John's knits, but you'd never purchase bottled water because that's just a total waste of money. Water's free. <laughs> so so I really do like the definition of Jap as someone who has sort of let let the shtetl left them and has forgotten. What it means for Jews to have nice things. Hi, I'm Avigail. Um, so I think that in this conversation, we're sort of dealing with the term Jap and also the behaviors are sort of material possessions it describes. And in terms of the latter, I grew up in a modern Orthodox community, and I have this very strong, vivid memory of sitting in the women's balcony during prayers at school and looking around at all of the other girls in their juicy hoodies and looking down at the boys to see what they had in common and they were all wearing tefillin. And I think that in thinking about sort of what behaviors or things women do that are sort of like, oh, everybody looks the same or everybody's doing the same thing at the same time, like as far as thinking about like what forms of community building are open to women, right? Like I have friends whose mothers take them to get manicures every Friday afternoon before Shabbat, and then the fathers take their brothers to shul. And, like, what are the avenues people have for building relationships and communities? And, like, in what ways are we not seeing that when we're critical of what women are doing? That's fascinating. You can clap. That's okay. All right. Right there. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, I'm from New Jersey. And I am a labor and delivery nurse. And some we have a lot of Hasidic patients that come onto our floor 
And I am the only Jewish nurse on my floor. And so a lot of my coworkers often turn to me when they have a lot of religious or just Jewish questions in general. And a lot of my coworkers happen to be from Long Island. So they're familiar with this term Jap. And one of them the other day actually said to me, can you explain to me, like they referred to one of the Hasidic patients that was on the floor as being kind of Jappy. And what they were getting at was that a lot of times these women, these Hasidic women, they're very staunch in how they want their care delivered to them. And they happen to be very firm with how they communicate with their healthcare providers. And to me, it was almost like I, I almost felt proud in some way because I looked at these Hasidish women and I was like, you know, good for them for standing their ground and for not being passive, you know, consumers of a healthcare system that is, you know, telling them exactly what they should be getting. Um, but to my coworkers, it was almost offensive that they were not taking their, you know, their expertise as these labor and delivery nurses who clearly know what we're talking about um, and just kind of, you know, why, well, why are they talking back to us? And I was kind of like, I had to really... I've taken the term Jap my entire life and, you know, associated it with this very like Long Island, you know, stereotype of girls who I knew growing up and who I went to camp with who got their hair blown out every Friday night and got new clothes before holidays. And, you know, I never had any of that. And so I did have this sort of negative connotation um, associated with that, especially having grown up in that bubble, that modern Orthodox bubble. But it was actually for the first time, I think, in my entire life that I looked at their association with the term Jap and actually kind of felt a little bit proud by the, like, stubbornness of it. A terrific comment to end on. Um, as you know, if you're fans of the show, we conclude with Mazel Tovs. But uh, before we get to that, I thought we'd just do one final poll by applause. Uh, this will be the one that will probably go into the show. But um, if you think it's okay to use the term Jap, clap. If you're absolutely morally revolted by the term Jap, clap louder. <laughs> I feel like we moved them somewhat. Do you know, every time you clap, a Jap gets her wings. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie Butnick, you've earned the opportunity to give the first Mazel Tov of the week. My Mazel Tov is to unorthodox. We are three years old this month. Wow. Are we really? Three years, like a hundred and something episodes. It's been a, quite a run. We're it's like, funny, when we don't record on a Tuesday now, I wake up with this strange sense of like both edginess and freedom. <laughs> it's like I've been let out of jail and given a lot of coffee. It, I just, I don't know what to do with a Tuesday when I'm not on the train to record. It's, it's. Um, Judith and Tova, would you like to give some mazel tovs? We'll let them, Us. do you want to think about, let, we'll let you think about it. I have a mazel tov. Oh, who's your mazel tov to, Tom? My mazel tov is to my beloved daughter, who Amanda, who's had a, who has a beautiful life, and uh, with a, she's just entered her fifth month. So wish her good luck from the. Oh. Hey. And our son Brandon is married six weeks. So there you go. Oh my wow. God. There you go. Love it. Judith, do you want to take a moment and come back? We can come back to you if you want. Yeah, maybe. Oh, uh, we'll come back to you. I have a mazel tov. Um, a couple months back, we got an email. We get the best email at unorthodox at tabletmag.com from uh, Mirav Kalush and Ehud Kleiner, who uh, wanted for their forthcoming son, they wanted name uh, suggestions for names, male names, that would get butchered in neither English nor Hebrew. We recommended, you remember, Leo? I suggested Dudu, Dudi, <laughs> Nimrod, or Moron, the four greatest Israeli names ever made. Right. I took their question seriously and <laughs> recommended Boaz or Shlomo. 
Well, they recently welcomed their baby boy, Matan. Matan Ooh. Ben Ami. And so we offer a hearty mazel tov to Mirav. To Matan. Ehud. <laughs> Big sister Noga. And also to their cousins, who are also members of the J Crew, our, our devoted listenership, Jessica Torch and Stephen Callis. So, Matan, you have a great mishpucha, and we loved the pictures that were attached in the email of you wearing your unorthodox onesie. You've been welcomed to the world in the best possible way. Mazel tov. Available for purchase <laughs> online. Uh, Judith, have you thought of... Well, I I mean, I, could, I have many, but I will stick to one that is not just about my family and my kids, which I am very tempted to do, but I can't really top grandkids. So my son going to Prague to play hockey will keep that one somewhere else. big deal. But I want to give an early mazel tov to RBG, who is about to celebrate 25 years on the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh-huh. Yay. May she live and be well. Live to 120, please. Not, not to spoil the party, but I would, I would note that still as a subject of a major motion picture, still played by a non-Jewish actress. Yeah, well, we have, our, we have our work cut out for us. Who's playing her? Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> the city Jones. Thank you. Liel, do you have a muscle top? Uh, I have two muscle tops. Uh, the first is to Benjamin Sidney Groner, uh, who has joined the world just yesterday. Long may he run. Your nep- and, nephew? Uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah. And the second, uh, as, as we are here, as always, uh, to the wonderful JCC uh, that runs uh, the two great camps my kids go to, and Jenna, who's here, knows. If I could, I would just quit all of this and go to Camp Satoga <laughs> all the time. Uh, so there. I mean, I love my kids' summer camps. Liel really loves his kids' summer camps. I'm not even kidding. And I don't know if it's just that he loves everyone who takes his kids away from him for reliable sets of hours every day, but... It's just, you know, they they have, like, parkour. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, Shira Talushkin, do you have a mazel tov? I don't have a mazel tov, but I wanted to give a shout-out to my co-producer, Josh Cross, who is off uh, vacationing in France, though you would never know it by the number of emails and texts we get from him. Um, And Josh is the best, so you all hear his credits at the end of the show. You don't know how often we all get swept into his apartment to do a lot of these segments off schedule. So huge mazel tov to Josh as he's uh, drinking wine and sending us pictures of beautiful villages. I will say, wait, Josh was in the Marais in Paris and got stopped. Our last episode was... we went on the Chabad mitzvah tank. Josh got stopped by someone who said, are you Jewish? And it was a Chabad guy. And he's like, yes. And I also do this podcast and we just had an episode with you guys. And he's like, oh yeah, New York, right? <laughs> <laughs> so has not put on tefillin yet. It got him out of laying tefillin. Yeah. He, just, he just redirected the guy. <laughs> Um, before we do final credits, I want to give a, a quick shout out to the downtown Jews. Which, where are you downtown Jews? They're uptown. Uptown. They're uptown. They're up in the in the skybox. Um, it's a new 20s and 30s group that is having their maiden night out with us tonight. Uh, a full baker's dozen of them bought tickets. I don't know if they all made it, but a lot of them bought tickets. And they are in the audience with their rabbinic student leader, Dina Gottlieb of Hebrew Union College. And we just want to say mazel tov for, uh, you know, for, for starting something great. Um, and before we... Uh Conclude, right? Yeah. I think I would be a very bad Jap if I didn't hit everyone in this room up for money. Uh, <laughs> we are doing our donor drive. It's true. And there's a very special competition that goes along with it, uh, Stephanie. So we have a competition. Our donor drive is running tabletmag.com slash donate. Say, wait, say that slower. Tabletmag.com, HTTP colon colon backslash tabletmag.com slash donate. We're running a competition where, what? <laughs> Tablet magic. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. 
you, when you donate, you vote for your favorite host. The host with the fewest votes has to do something. Everyone has decided that the thing I have to do is actually something they want me to do, which is put up a mezuzah in my apartment. And so now people are voting against me so that I have to put a mezuzah up, which is like kind of traumatic just, just for a saying, lot of reasons. Just saying, if you care for so, Stephanie's soul, you may want to vote Liel or Mark. <laughs> Tabletmag.com slash donate. Can you say that faster? Help earn Stephanie a mezuzah. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave a voicemail, which we may play on the show, at 914-570-4869. That's 914-570-ISRAEL-WOODSTOCK. You can also ask for our newsletter by putting newsletter in the subject line. We often come to you live, as we did tonight. If you want to book us, email producer Josh Cross, that's cross with a K, the Jewish way, at tabletmag.com. And of course, who doesn't want to wear or carry unorthodox? Hit up the website bit.ly slash unortho shirt and find the latest in unorthodox shirts, mugs, and stickers to put on yourself or to cozy around your coffee in the morning. Follow us on Instagram at unorthodox podcast and on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at sbutnik. Maybe there'll be a picture of her new mezuzah. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Shira Talushkin. It is edited by Noah Levinson. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. And special thanks tonight to Megan Whitman and her entire entire team at the Marlene Myerson JCC of Manhattan. Yeah. We record at Argo Studios, but not tonight, because we're in the JCC of Manhattan, and the guy who engineers us there, Paul, is actually in the audience. We are proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.